Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. You hit the spot. The place where the conversation is pointed, the guests are sharp, and the responses are never dull. Put your thinking caps on, because the conversation starts now. Welcome to On the Edge with April Mahoney Brains. Now, where are you? At your favorite spot? At the best podcast on the planet? The place where the conversation is pointed? The guests are sharp and the responses are never dull. <laughs> the land down under Australia with the beautiful Colette Avery. She is a spiritual mentor. I asked her, what did you want me to do? She said, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> Better watch that invitation, girl, because I got a laundry list. <laughs> also, she has a fondness and a fascination because she rides motorbikes motorcycles. How sexy is that? How daring is that? How liberating is that? Those are some of the characteristics and traits that we're going to talk about in today's interview. So help me welcome her on the edge. How are you, Colette? I'm fantastic. Thank you, April. How are you? Dimples. You are like me. We can put a cherry in them, huh? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes my, I call my dimples a gift to the world. And um, I do like to share them. So I do post a lot with me smiling regularly um, because I just find, well, it's easy enough for me to smile and share that gift. And I know it does uplift people. So um, I do. I regularly get on and just say, happy Monday <laughs> or happy Sunday. Exactly. Just to promote happiness because it is a choice to be happy. And sometimes we need reminding. <laughs> Sometimes, I think sometimes it's a chore, not a choice because staying neutral, you know, happiness is a high, like mm. you've got to keep chasing it. Uh, but being content and being at peace is something that so many people never find, or they're at the other end of the spectrum where they're sad and they're depressed and they feel lonely and anxiety. But you've overcome a lot. You've had a So Colette, tell us a little bit about your story, your journey, your truth, and how you show up in the world. So it started uh, when I was 45. That was about um, 52 near now. So seven, eight years ago, it all began when my life changed. And so... I was riding my motorbike off to work and uh, I actually had warning not to get on the motorbike. I did have a sign to tell me not to get on and I ignored that sign. So um, even now my gut mind and my gut intuition plays a big role in my life. Um, I actually probably use my gut mind first now than this. Mm. So my gut intuition is always in the forefront telling me this, something's not right, and I will listen. Okay, something's not right. And uh, and that's come from um, the accident now. So first and foremost, I now have my gut mind first. So what happened? Do you mind sharing? Of course. So um, I had a truck part on a crest. 
of um of the road so there was no one else involved just me and this part and I didn't have any time to respond to reacting to it so I basically hit it I don't actually have any other memory apart from <gasps> hitting it and so the rest of this a uh, part of it basically I was told so then I was told I got up and I was taking my helmet off mm. which is something not supposed to do basically um when you've had an accident basically you should still keep it on for head and neck injuries but apparently I was taking my helmet off and um I've ended up in an ambulance and on the way to the ambulance I do remember uh the husband's number so I remember that minute memory and the next thing I'm in hospital and I'm in intensive care and um, my brain's not right at this stage because I can remember going off at um, my ex-husband and I'm telling him, I'm swearing at him basically to go away. And um, so I'm not right in the head. And this also is goes on for four or five days until on this fourth, fifth day, I'm awake and I crash because I've been bleeding internally for four or five days. Mm. So I'm bleeding to death for four or five days, basically, mm. and no one's aware. Mm. Uh -uh. And, yeah, I know, I'm in hospital, and no one knows that I'm bleeding to death. <laughs> wow. So um, it comes to crunch point where all of a sudden I'm crashing because my body says enough is enough. You're not doing anything to fix me, and... Now I'm going to die basically on you. And so I'm awake for eight, nine hours. They don't put me to sleep and I'm not, I don't know whether the pain medication doesn't work either, but I'm in excruciating pain for eight, nine hours trying to fight for my life. Um, for my, I can even just breathe, Colette, breathe. I can remember just telling myself to breathe. So and that was that you had an epiphany you had a god moment what happened well this was even at this time like i knew i had to fight i was fight i had a real fight of my life literally this was the biggest fight of my life ever and so even just telling myself come on colette you can breathe come on colette beat your heart beat come on i'm doing this to myself while the doctors and I can remember watching my blood turn to jelly. That was another big point for me, watching my blood turn to jelly. And so after these eight, nine hours, they stabilised me for, for a little bit. And then they'd go, and the doctor goes to me, oh, we're going to have to take you in for surgery now. And I was just like, well, duh, doctor. <laughs> right. Of course you are. And so uh, we need your permission to go to surgery. Well, yes, because I don't have anything left in me now. I had no fight left in me now at this point. I said, doctor, well, you're going to have to do what you're going to have to do, doctor, because I've got no fight left in me now. So you're struggling to survive, to live. Yes. yes. How did your spirituality get awakened? Well, it wasn't awakened. Well, it was already semi-awakened at this point. 
mm -hmm. um, from my life and what I'd done. She didn't listen to your intuition. And Brains, let me tell you something. When your intuition is God's whisper. It is. Think something. I mean, yes. And absolutely, I said, well, you know what? Let me stop. Let me do this. I learned to do that a long time ago. It may not be what you want. Um, and you may not understand why. But, and everybody's not going to chime in on it. You know, sometimes they think, oh, I was just hallucinating or I had this thought in my head. But you feel it in your head, in your heart. You can taste it in your tongue. You can feel it on the palm of your hands. When spirit is talking to you, it's undeniable. So I would suggest that you take hold. If it says don't do something, stop, rethink, pause. If nothing right. else, just pause and think about it a little bit longer. Take a breath. Instead of struggling for that breath like Paulette had to do, try to take it from the beginning. Okay, so you get the spiritual awakening, and then what happens? Well, basically, so I'm put on life support after my 16-hour operation. Um, and then I'm recovering. Actually, because I wake up. And I'm alone and I'm in pain again. So that wasn't nice as well, waking up alone and in pain, excruciating pain. I've got a tube down my throat, so I can't speak. I can't talk either. And um, so I'm, I'm really not with it for the next few days either. But anyhow, I start to listen to Selfigio Hertz, DNA 528 Healing Hertz. And no one else tells me this, and I don't tell anyone this, but I start listening to this. And um, then 10 days later, I'm out of hospital after mm. nearly dying. So 10 days. So from my, from my motorbike crash, I had uh, three fractured vertebrae. I lost my kidney. So my kidney had disintegrated inside of me and congealed to my to other parts inside me. So they actually had nicked my aorta. Mm. Yeah. So they made a bit of a botched up, botched me up a little bit. Uh, my lung had also collapsed. Mm. Now, were you on, uh, let me ask you, because I just was watching this uh, Netflix movie called Painkiller. I don't know if you've seen it. And no, I haven't. It is about big pharma and pain medications. I've had right. I've had a I had a family member that you know was on pain medication, and after it didn't work anymore, then they started using heavier drugs, street drug drugs because they needed the frequency and they needed the uh, the cost and their regularity. You were in excruciating pain. It's a certain mindset that you have to have to be able to tolerate that. What was, I mean, and that will, you know, alone will make you want to give up. What was it that encouraged you to forge ahead? And did you really have issues with, you know, and you can be honest with us if you want, uh, about painkillers because you've got to get it off you. I mean, you can't live like that. And what did you do to manage the pain and become so lively now? <laughs> well, I, that, that's still still part of the story. So um, it actually goes back prior to that. So prior to that, I've 
I was anti-medication. <laughs> oh. So doctors don't actually like me because I'm anti-medication. So I actually had studied aromatherapy in the late 90s, early 2000s. So I studied aromatherapy. I also studied five other modalities of massage. So I'd also learned shiatsu, Swedish, remedial, um, lymphatic, um, Reiki, reflexology. So I'd learned other modalities, predominantly Eastern medicine, but I also had a very high tolerance for pain as well. And uh, I guess so. Well, everything in your body was discombobulated and taking blood. And then you, you made the ex mad at you. You didn't have any <laughs> a lot of, yes. there was a lot of pain going on. A lot of pain. So, yes, not even just the physical pain. There was a lot of mental, even spiritual pain um, and emotional yeah, it was, I had a lot, a lot of pain. And so like, even just recently, I've even just had a big, big epiphany where I've been able to release even what I call ancestral trauma pain, um, which doesn't even sometimes stem from you, but stems from your family. And so uh, understanding, there's also another technique I used to use as, as well from the beginning called EFT emotional freedom technique called tapping and I'd say even though I'm pain I accept myself even though I'm pain I accept myself even though I'm in pain I accept myself even though I'm in pain I accept myself and so there's a routine which you tap over you hitting certain meridian points in your body and um, you hit them in your hand and when you're hitting them, you're sending signals to the brain and they're releasing certain things. And they're supposed to help you accept what is going on with yourself, basically. So I used quite a lot of different techniques. Um, and the other important thing is the breath. Right. When you become present, the other thing I discovered as well um, during the beginning was if I wasn't hydrated, if I wasn't drinking enough water, I would feel pain more. So um, if you're not drinking enough water, you will feel pain more. Wow. Just the little things, the simple things. Uh, yeah. through. So I know the doctors look at you today and say that you are a walking miracle. And I'm so glad that you recovered. And got back on that motorcycle. Tell us about your fascination with motorbikes and how did you start doing that? Very exciting and very daring. <laughs> that actually started when I was 10. <laughs> my, oh. dad got, my dad got me on the motorbike when I was 10. And I loved getting on. So I got my motorbike license in New Zealand when I was 15. And I'd be riding off to school every now and then on the motorbike. Um, well, actually, it was a Honda 90, so it was like a scooter motorbike I had, my mum's my motorbike, and I'd take that off to school every now and then. Um, but then when I left Australia, no, sorry, when I left New Zealand and moved to Australia, I did that when I was 18, um, well, I didn't have a motorbike then. I also, so, and then um, the husband I had, 
he didn't want me riding motorbikes either. So I didn't ride motorbikes for quite a long period of time. And it came a time when my two daughters, they wanted to start driving the car. So I had to start teaching them how to drive. And it was around this time when I'm um, 40. So I hit the 40s and it was just like, I want to get back on the motorbike. I want to get back on the bike. So I learned, um, take my test and get back on the motorbike over here. And I buy this little small Honda 125. And that's the crash. That's when I had the crash four years later on the bike. And also from this point, the surgeons also made me promise to never get back on the bike. And I can remember saying, you're serious about this? And they're going, yes, we are. And you're not to play any contact sports either. So when they said this, it was just like, well, okay, then I promise not to get back on the bike. And I was that broken, really. It wasn't my first priority to get back on the bike. But as time was progressing, I was very, very sad, very sad uh, after the accident because I also lost my brother nine months after the accident. And um, you had a day- lot going on, you know, you were trying to recover, you know, uh, extracting something from your life that absolutely brought you joy. Yeah. You know, losing your brother. And you said, you know what? I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm going to glorify me and raise me up. And you became a spiritual life coach. What do people have to expect, Colette, when they work with you? What are you going to pour into them? And what are you going to eventually exude out? Wow. When I deal with, with clients and people I work with, I go very, very deep. Very deep. And because I get messages, as as because my brother passed, and he's um, what I call he's part of my soul family. So I get very strong messages from my spiritual family, and I became a bit of a psychic medium after after he passed. Actually, my gift really started opening up then, and um, so when people work with me. I'll, we'll sit down and we'll talk. We'll allow them to talk basically about themselves for a certain period of time. And then all of a sudden I'll stop them and I'll just see what's going on with them, with themselves. And before I know it, I'm generally tapping into their stuff, whether it just be, sometimes it'll be straight away, I'll know. Okay, so I can see that this isn't actually your stuff. This is ancestral trauma. Mm -hmm. And if it's ancestral trauma, it's like it goes back seven generations. Wow. Wow. And and so that also, another name for ancestral trauma is quantum epigenetics. So I've also learned the scientific side of it as well. So ancestral trauma is the common term that people use, but quantum epigenetics is the scientific term. term used to to understand it so you're interpret what is going on with them energetically and spiritually now you know there's a lot of people that are skeptical to this type Mm -hmm. of modality and they say this is is hoo-hoo this is witchery this is trickery um what do you say to the skeptic 
Well, obviously that's their journey and their path. And I, for me, if that's where they, what they want to believe, I'm not here to convince them. That's not my job to convince them. So if they want to believe that, that's their choice. That's where they're stuck because they're not open to anything else. So they're limiting themselves is what I say, basically. So is that, is that all they choose to believe in? <laughs> well, you know, it's true. Um, but then you have, in the contrary, people uh, look at their spirituality. They look at their religious doctrines. They look at their mm -hmm. family lineage. They're listening to their husband and their mother and grandmother. And they're saying that these are things that we are not to dibble and dabble with. These are the unknown. This is black magic. So brains, you have to really decide where you are in that evolution. I mm -hmm. personally, that there is a religious roadmap, but there is a spiritual highway and you have to evolve and go to that next level. You have to be ready. You can't be fearful. And it's not the same journey. Sure, it's like, you know, you're like you're riding the motorbike and you've been going this one direction all the way. You've never made a left. You've never made a right. You know, you stop at the same signal lights all the time. It becomes mechanical until something, bam, you hit a pothole. And you're, <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, and then you are ejected. I'm a storyteller, honey, I know. <laughs> but you're, and then you're thrown off your game. And so when you get back on it, you have to start from scratch. You've got to learn a new direction. You've got to get on a new bike. You've got to get over the fear. Mm -hmm. And nobody is trying to make you do anything. Okay. I get it. And I totally respect you right wherever you are. But you don't know what you don't know. Right, Colette? Correct. Correct. So I'd love to share this little short story with you. Sure. Because it was it played an enormous part in my spirituality, enormous part, because I was very quite scared to go and do this. And there's parts of me where I didn't want to do this either. And it was like, why? <laughs> why? But then I was just like, no, you have to do this. And, and I made myself do it. So a couple of, probably about three weeks after my brother died, I had a message telling me I needed to take a journey to Peru. <laughs> oh, oh, a very spiritual and, place. Mm -hmm. Very spiritual. So I'm sitting at home, um, very sad and upset. And next minute, I'm sending a message to my boss saying, I'm not coming back to work. I quit. <laughs> the, next, the next minute I know, I'm randomly just reading something on my phone and I see something called the source in Peru and then next minute I also see someone I also know so I see a familiar face he's in Peru and I go okay I'm going to do that <laughs> okay. because because it all just kind of aligns right and so before I know it um and so I can remember getting the travel agent to also make all the arrangements. I go, yes, I want to go here. I'm going here and I'm going here. Please just organize it all. And she also had me arriving in Phoenix, Arizona 
on the day that I came back alive on the 1st of April. So I tell people it wasn't no joke. And yeah. so, yeah. That, that's the... spiritual to Arizona, uh, especially Sedona. I go there uh, for retreats. Um, yes. A lunar vortex. And I tell you what else is there, brains. There's aliens there, whether you believe it or not. Oh, yes. There are alternate <laughs> forces from the universe. Wouldn't you agree, Colette? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, I so agree. And they're not little green men and little green women with antennas, you know? It's an No, I didn't see force, any of them. <laughs> but it's an energy force that will take you on a journey. Uh, and if you're gracious and kind, they will land you right back, but you will be forever changed. So what happened in Peru? Did you take Arawesca? I sure did. Shut the front door. No, you did not. Of course I did. I had five ceremonies of ayahuasca. <laughs> I also had poison frog combo. Whoa. And mezcal as wow. one ceremony. Okay, wow. now she, <laughs> she went on a trip, okay? She went on a trip. <laughs> <laughs> all right so now all right so let's let's ask about that because i know my friends that go to peru i don't have the courage i am going to do a past life regression but to do plant medicine number one we are not encouraging that for people that you know just do, do it on a whim it has to oh. be it has to be uh with a shaman it has to be in a very controlled environment you have yes. to Know what you're doing this is not something that you play with because you know what they're doing here uh, in, the, in uh, the united states here in california of all places they are trying to make hallucinogenic mushrooms they're making them legal for people to go on these trips now you know what we're already uh dysfunctional and then you're gonna <laughs> and take uh, you know take psychedelic and get on your motorcycle that's not what you do so, okay, so you took this Arawesca girl, what happened? Yeah. So the first ceremony, so the shamans are Quechuans. Mm. So, um, so yeah, we, we go inside the temple and uh, I have an amazing experience the first, the first, um, the first time. And I can remember even dancing to Buddha because there's a beautiful statue of Buddha um life size and I can remember during the ceremony him asking me to dance for him so I danced for Buddha and that was beautiful but there's lots of other crystals and the, the the temple is just so beautiful and you also look up and you can see the moon as well so during the um ceremonies um you purge a lot but you can also have many it's definitely not something to take lightly. Right. right. Do not take it lightly. It's very, very serious. And you definitely need support. Yeah. I mean, your your blood pressure changes, your whole mental capacity, where you're thinking. You're not thinking that you're in some little temple there in Peru. You are thinking that you are maybe two years old, maybe back in the womb, maybe futuristic. You're hearing messages. You're hearing signs. You're seeing symbols these things and you want to be with someone that's going to number one help you record and document this because you're hallucinating or what we feel is hallucinating people say is you're really coming alive and mm. it's a lot to contain with but then the realization when you come back on the other side did i really experience this what was said 
What do I feel? How do I interpret this? How do I incorporate this in my life? How do I go to sleep and not be afraid? You know, again, and then trust to do it more than once. You are a brave woman. You really are. So this in, uh, this heightened your awareness. This heightened your ability and your spiritual connection with source that now you're able to receive these downloads and be able to interpret them and to be able to help others. Am I correct? Correct, April. Wow. I feel like I went on the trip with you. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm not gonna tell you everything okay i'm gonna tell you everything but i've lived oh yes i've lived uh and so that's very important so now you are in this place please tell my brains how to get in contact with you how to work with you um so that they can go on their own experience maybe not as far as peru maybe not getting on a motorcycle maybe just as simple as trying to get over some trauma of sexual abuse get over some trauma of a bad relationship, get over some epigenetics, something that has been passed down two or three gen generations. How do they get in contact with you, Colette, and how can they work with you to explore that? Well, actually, my website's um, being worked on currently, so I don't have my website up working at the moment, but you can contact me. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Colette Avery, and Colette Avery 71 on Instagram. Uh, I also have my email, which is Colette Avery, lowercase 71, at hotmail.com. You can contact me there and I'll respond to you. Well, I want them to go on a journey with you of exploration, of understanding, of gratitude, uh, to be thankful to be alive, to be thankful to be in your right mind, to be thankful to have choices and options, and also be thankful to have great spiritual guides like Colette that have been on these extra central journeys, but have come back safe and alive and help you and hold your hand through the process. It's so important that you have someone to hold your hand. You're not alone. You don't have to be alone. If it's not Colette, it's someone else, but be willing to explore, um, be willing to take a chance. That's what life is. Every day we get up, we step outside the door, we're taking a chance. You can't, uh, you can't take things for granted. Thank you so much, Colette, for being here on the edge with me. You are an amazing soul with an incredible story. Brains, I need you to go in, love, like, share, and subscribe. Again, I need you to love, like, here's it right here in your face. You see that right there, right there? <laughs> love, like, share, and subscribe here on the edge and tell a friend, all right? We love you. Thank you so much, Colette. You are the best. Thank you, April. Thank you. Bye, Brains.